This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit WOGCC.com. We're going to wrap up our series on generosity this morning. We just did a two-part series last week. If you missed it, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that. We talked about really engaging the heart of the matter and talking about how we can give generously without living generously, but that's not what God has called us to do. It's not just a giving thing, rather it's a living thing where we are called to live generously. I think one of the best ways that you and I can live generously is to live with purpose, where we understand that our lives are not just about what we can accumulate, our lives are not about what we can heap for ourselves and how well we can do on our own, although there's nothing wrong with having goals, there's nothing wrong with us having aspirations in life and things that we want to aspire to do. But I think the why behind what we do is much greater than what we do. We need to understand why it is that we're doing what we're doing. Why are we waking up? Why do we come to church? Are we just coming out of obligation? Are we just coming out of routine? Are we just coming because it's the thing to do to mark off my list? Or are we coming because we understand that there's a purpose, that there's something that God has called me to? And I think that Word of Grace is a church that believes in purpose, don't you? Amen? I believe that we are a church of purpose. We're a church that has vision, that has direction, that we believe is from the Lord, and we're moving forward in unity. That's why you can get 220 people to come to a Bucks game on a Friday night from a church of 400 and something people. That is crazy to me. I mean, that would be a significant feat in my mind if we were a church of 1,000 people to have 200 people come to a basketball game. But what it shows me, as much fun as that was, I mean, Bucks won, what, what? I mean, it, it wasn't a pretty win. It was a little sloppy win, but that's okay. It still went in the W column, and at the end of the day, that's all that matters. But, you know, what it shows me is that it shows that we're people who genuinely enjoy being with one another as a church family. So when we, ch- when we say church family, we really mean that. I mean, it's not just something we say because it sounds spiritual or it sounds churchy or it sounds nice. It's something that we mean means that we all understand that God has called us together for something that's bigger than any one individual. It's bigger than me as the pastor. It's bigger than any one of you. It's something that only we could accomplish together if we were in unity, if we understand what God has called us to. And I think that that just shows the heart that God is developing within this local church body. And it blesses me to see that. It really does. It's crazy going through the halls of the Bradley Center and running into people you know like every 10, 15 steps, you know. You take two steps, you see somebody. You take 10 more steps, you see somebody else. And it was the craziest experience because normally when I go there, I don't know anybody. I mean, I expect everyone there to know me because I consider myself a regular. But... They may not know me as well there, but man, to see you guys turn out for that and come, that was just such a huge testimony, I believe, of purpose. I believe it's a huge testimony of unity. I believe it's a huge testimony of relationship and what God is doing here at Word of Grace. Because yeah, we believe in discipleship, but we believe discipleship happens best in the context of relationship. That's why we're having success in men's ministry and we're seeing success in community groups and all those things because people are getting it and they understand and they're connecting with moving forward with a purpose. So this morning we're going to talk about moving forward in a different way on the pathway to generosity. If you're taking notes, write down that title this morning, the pathway to generosity. Also, you can follow along on Version. If you have your mobile device with you this morning, you can just go to Version and search for a live event in your area and it should pull up the notes for today's message. If you have your Bible, go ahead and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. We'll read there in just a moment. 1 Corinthians 
1 Corinthians chapter 8. I think that it's important that we all understand that for us to move forward and be who God has called us to be, that we need to do so in unity. And I believe that we're beginning to understand those things and believe in those things and connect with one another with the purpose that God has given us. I think that for us to be generous, for us to model that heart of the Father to the world, that we need to understand that every blessing from God, we understand, is not something that starts and ends with me. It's not something that necessarily is directly for me. Yeah, I do get to benefit from the blessing of God. But the main idea behind God blessing you and me isn't so I can just simply stop and just begin to accumulate all of the blessing from God, but rather it's for me to be a conduit for the blessing of God. Amen? For me to be a conduit of joy, me to be a conduit of peace, me to be a conduit of prayer and thankfulness and all of these things that God is wanting to develop in me and wanting to do through me because ultimately you and I are created for His glory, right? (laughs) So any benefit that I receive from God is directly something that is secondary from the purpose of it because first and foremost, any blessing from God is meant to stir worship in my heart to bring glory to Him, amen? And if I personally benefit from it, great! That's awesome, but it doesn't stop and end with me. I understand that I'm blessed to be a blessing. I understand that it starts with my heart. And I also understand that God uses thankfulness to work in me a heart of generosity. Because we're generous because we first are thankful. That's what initially begins to stir our hearts towards generosity. We see that generosity is a part of the character of God. It's a part of His DNA. It's a part of His nature. It's not just something He does. It's literally who He is. And so He's wanting to develop in us His heart so we can model for the world things that would bring glory to Him. So when we understand generosity, it means we first and foremost are thankful. And we understand where All of our help, all of our hope, all of our resource comes from God. We're not thankful out of obligation. We're thankful because we've identified our source, and we also have identified where we would be without our source. Amen, somebody. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, let's read verse 6. It says, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we for Him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we live. Everything came from God. It's all from Him. He is literally our source. It's not your job that's your source. It's not your spouse that is your source. It's not anything other than God and God alone because everything is from Him. And when we understand that God is our source, then we're not looking to our job to be our source. We're not looking to our boss to be our source of blessing. We're not looking to our spouse to be our source. We're looking to God and God alone because those things may be taken away from us. Those things may fail us. Those things may disappoint us, but God never fails. God is always faithful, and He is the one that will see us through wherever it is that we are in life. And all these other things can disappoint. All these other things can fail us. All these other things can be taken away from us. We can lose anything, but if we still hold on to Jesus, we still have hope. Amen? Because He is our source, truly, of everything that we need. Everything comes from God. A lot of times we think that we're insignificant or we think that we don't matter much in life if we don't have a certain type of car or we live in a certain type of home or we have a certain type of respect in the community or a certain title in front of or behind our names. 
We think that all of a sudden we're lacking and we're not really as fulfilled as we should be in life. So we're always chasing after things and position and notoriety in order to try to garner some type of position with other people that will make us feel like we matter. And the, 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 the lie of all of that is, is that you can chase that stuff until your very last breath and you'll never be content. You will only experience a temporary satisfaction. We know. I mean, you think that this is the one thing that you have to have. I remember when I was a kid, I thought a Sega Genesis is going to complete my world. I had a Sega Genesis fund at my house, and I would go around to my mom and my dad and my sister, and I would take up collections on a regular basis. You got any spare change? Is there anything I could do? And I even had myself a little chart where I would begin to inch up the way on that chart and color it in, getting closer and closer to that Sega Genesis. Because if I could have the Sega Genesis, my world would be complete. And when you get those things, guess what? It's fun for a little while, but I don't have that thing anymore. You see, the world would want you to buy into and believe in the idea that things in position can make you happy, that notoriety will make you significant, that you having a certain car or wearing a certain type of clothing, having a certain type of job, earning a certain amount of money will make you valuable in the eyes of other people, thus giving you true significance. But when we understand that God is our source of significance, that God is our source of everything that we need in life, if we have Him, then we could lose the whole world, but we still have everything we need. We could lose everything that we thought was important, but if we still have Him, we have everything we need because we have found contentment in our source. We know where everything comes from. That's why Paul can be imprisoned in shackles and sing praises to God. Wow, you think, man, if I'm shackled up and I done been beat and I'm bloody and I'm achy and I'm sore all because of Jesus, the last thing I would want to do would be sing to Jesus. A lot of us wouldn't want to sing songs to Jesus. We'd be singing, oh me, oh my. Poor old me. Somebody feels sorry for me. But yet the heart motive of the Apostle Paul, even in shackles and in prison, was still to worship God. He still understood his purpose. That's why he said that I've been a base. I I have lived in uh, where I've abounded. And I can do all these things through Christ who gives me strength. Christ gives me purpose. It's for his glory that I was created, and he is my source. And if I have him, then I have everything I need. It's not about me achieving some level of success in the eyes of man that brings me this sense of satisfaction, but rather it's knowing that I'm right in the eyes of a holy God, and that only comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? And that he is my source for forgiveness. He is my source for peace. He is my source for joy. In him and in him alone, I can be content. You see, someone who understands that God is their source is always going to be thankful. And someone who's thankful and understands God as their source is going to put Him first place in their life. That's why Matthew 6 and 33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. It will help you to correctly prioritize your life when you put God first in every area of your life. Amen? It will help you to see clearly what's most important. Until that time, we're often really clouded in our judgment of what's important, and we can get drawn to this thing or drawn to that thing. And it's hard to prioritize our life, but when we put God in the rightful seat of first place in our life, and we truly devote our lives to Him and give Him first place, these other things just seem to line up. And then our lives begin to bring Him glory, and we get to benefit from it, and we get to bless others from it as well. You see, someone who understands that God is their source is going to be a good employee, because they're thankful that God is their source. And they understand that everything they do is to be done unto the Lord. 
Colossians chapter 3, if you have your Bible, you can flip over there real quick. And by real quick, I literally mean real quick because I'm already there, I beat you. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 23 says, Whatever you do, do it heartily unto the Lord, not to men, knowing that from the Lord you're going to receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, this is all about Jesus. This is all about serving Him. And everything that you do is to be done as if you were doing it for Him. You're not doing it for your boss so you'll get the good pat on the back. You're doing it for the glory of God. That'll change your idea when you walk into the door of a job where your boss is not a Christian and gives you a hard time about everything. You can still be a good employee and still bring honor to God from the way you conduct yourself and carry yourself. You'll be a good employee. You'll be on time. You'll be doing things with excellence. You will be valuable to that organization, whether your employer is a Christian or not. I think it's really sad that sometimes we always want to escape from situations that may be difficult or may be challenging, where we say, oh, my boss isn't a Christian. I need a job where my boss is a Christian. What if God has called you there to be a light? What if he has called you there to be salt and light, and you're looking for ease? Did Jesus say that become a Christian and everything will just be easy? No, Jesus actually said that the world is going to hate you and it's going to be my fault. He said, they're actually going to despise you. He said, but don't, don't be worried about that. I've already overcome the world. He said, don't worry about that, little children. I, I know that the, the, the world is, is against, the world is anti-Christ. He said, but don't worry about that because I've already overcome the world. I am your source. I am your hope. I am everything you need. And when we realize that, when we put him first, it stirs up worship in our heart. And I become thankful. And when I become thankful, it begins to work in my heart a sense of generosity. Something that is going to be used for the glory of God Because this stuff is not going to own me here on this earth. You see, when we think that we're the source or we think that man is our source, we're going to serve ourselves. We're going to serve our own interests. And we're out only for what we can get in return for our investment. We think very little about generosity because it's all about me and it's all for for me. And even the nice things that I do or things that I do for God often can be laced with a hidden agenda that we think nobody sees, including God, that we're really wanting recognition for our good deed. And we live with such a works-driven mentality that we think that I can somehow earn the favor of God, earn the love of God, that I can somehow move up the ranks in the Christian world if everyone will see all the good deeds that I do, if they'll see truly what I give. If they'll see how I give of my time. If they'll see of how I give of my talent. They see how they give, I give of my treasure. Well, there's a couple of stories in the Bible that I just want to bring to your attention. One being that there were the religious leaders of Jesus' day who were standing in the town square praying loudly so everybody could hear how spiritual words they use. I think it's really odd when people always say, man, you really pray good. What does that mean? I don't understand that mentality. You pray really good. I I had someone compliment me one Good Friday when we were having a community Good Friday service about three years ago when I prayed and and, and I had someone come to me, you pray really good. Where did you learn that prayer? I have no idea what you're talking about. It's not that we get good at something and someone goes, oh, wow, because these priests were really good at praying in the public square. And Jesus said, you know how loud they pray, all the fancy words they use, how impressive they are? He said, they're doing that so everyone will see how spiritual they are. He said, and because they do that, guess what? They've already got their reward. And you know what their reward is? That they were seen by men. And that men go, whoa, oh, look at so-and-so. Man, aren't they spiritual? Well, that's their reward. That's what they get. They're serving their own interests. He said, don't pray like those guys. 
He said, matter of fact, let me teach you how to pray. Let me teach you how to give. He said, don't let your right hand know what your left is doing. Don't announce it and go trumpet it to everyone. Matter of fact, you, there's also the story of all of the people who came into the temple. You remember, they were giving these big, huge, audacious gifts that were really impressive. And then here comes this old widow woman up to the front, and she drops in two mites, which is not even worth two pennies in our day. And Jesus said, do you see that down there, fellas? That lady that just gave, gave more than everyone. What? That's right, she gave all that she had. You see, God is looking at the intent of our heart because it's really our heart that he's after, not our pocketbook, amen? (laughs) It's ministers who have twisted agendas that are after our pocketbooks. (laughs) Not God, not God. Maybe you've heard me share before. I have a lot of crazy stories about how I grew up. There was a certain type of faith that I grew up in that it was very materialistic. And I've shared with you some of the zany stories about things that we used to do in the church that I grew up in. It was really bad, really wrong teaching. I think that initially there were some good things to that teaching, but it just got warped by man's greed and materialism. And we would actually give in hopes that we would begin to get certain things. And the reason that we were giving is because we wanted to get that thing because without that thing we weren't happy. And of course God wants me happy, so he's going to give me the thing to make me happy that I don't have because Jesus is somehow inadequate. So if I give enough money, then I'll get the thing that I need or think I need to make me happy. We liked money so much in the church that I grew up in that we used to make it a part of our praise and worship. We sang a song, no joke, no lie, called Money Cometh to Me. We would sing, money cometh to me for the sake of the gospel, money cometh to me. And then there was a part where we'd go, money, 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 money cometh to me. And we sang this. I'm not making this stuff up. <laughs> Pastor Stephen can verify. He's heard the song as well. And, uh, <laughs> and it's, it's crazy. I mean, it's absolutely nuts. I, I remember growing up hearing uh, messages about, I give this in order to get this, and, or because I saw that so-and-so has something that I want, and so I'm going to give and believe God that they'll give it to me. That's called coveting. I think that's in the Bible too, right? That we're not supposed to covet our neighbor's goods. I remember one time a pastor friend of mine about 10 years ago or so, uh, we were driving around and he saw this bus sitting in another church's parking lot, big nice 52 passenger bus and had been sitting there for a few months and he said, man, these people never use it. I think God's telling me to go in there and get that. So he walked into the pastor's office and said, hey, I'm a pastor in town and God told me you're supposed to give me that bus. He said, oh really? Well, you and I must have a different connection. (laughs) See, when we think it's all about this material stuff that we need or that we have to have, that somehow God is not our source and he's somehow inadequate and, and, he, and, and, and we begin to chase after things, we miss the point. I remember one of the most hideous things that I ever recall growing up was that I was a part of a service where a minister began to feel the leading of the Spirit, that there was a 10-minute window in the Spirit if you would give a certain amount of money that you would receive this huge, big blessing. And it was a 10-minute window for $1,000. In the next 10 minutes, you know, in the next 10 minutes, there's a special window right now. If you'll give $1,000, God's putting it on your heart. Bring that $1,000 in the next 10 minutes. And then he, 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 God got a little bit more generous because it was about at the 8-minute mark. Oh, God just spoke to me and said, it's $500 now if you'll bring $500 down. And then God spoke to him again as time began to wane down. He said, just come and lay it up here on the stage. If you've got a $100 gift, God still will let you in on this blessing if you come and give that $100 gift. And then there's about five minutes remaining, and he's starting to get a little antsy. And he's already got all the $1,000 and the $500 and the $100. And then he goes to 50 and then to 20 and then to 10 And God gets real generous. And he's going to let you in on this last 60 seconds for a quarter on that blessing if you'll come and give that blessing. 
And then after that, he just begins to walk on the money and begins to put his anointing on the money and all this kind of stuff. And I grew up seeing that type of abuse. So if you have grown up in a church where money was abused or where giving was abused, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you've experienced that. I've been there too. We could sit down and talk sometime and swap stories. I've seen crazy stuff regarding money in church. I've seen the abuse of money in church. And I've seen how people will try to use position and authority that they've been given to try to manipulate or bring guilt or to try to bring condemnation in order to try to stir people to give. And all of those motives are wrong. I said all of those motives are wrong. You see, you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. See, you can give a gift without love being your motive. You can give without the generosity and love of Christ being your motive. But you can't love without giving. It's a byproduct. It's a fruit. You see, I can give out of obligation. I can give out of fear. I can give out of condemnation. I know that the longer I've lived in Wisconsin, the more I've begun to learn some of the cultural things that are different from what I grew up understanding in the South And one of the stories that always shocked me is when people come to me and tell me that they grew up receiving a bill in the mail. And they remember either them or they remember mom and dad receiving a bill in the mail. And they always hated paying that bill and how people would actually be removed or ostracized from the church if they didn't pay the bill and give the church the amount of money that they were owed or however they go through that process. I don't know. Maybe you grew up in a similar environment. And people begin to feel this weight and this condemnation. And there's no joy attached to that type of giving. That's giving without loving. That's giving because I'm afraid of what people are going to think about me if I don't give or they're going to put my name in the paper or they're going to tell everybody how much money I owe, you know. That's not a right motive. That's not God-honoring. Me as your pastor, I have never looked at giving at all at this church so far as what individuals give. I get a total sum to be able to help make financial decisions as the leader of this church and and as a pastor to begin to help steward those funds with wisdom and excellence, but I don't know what any individual gives. So if you come to church and you're all worried about what you gave or didn't give, I don't know. I don't know, and and, and I don't want to know. That's between you and God. And I'm not going to know. So if people give and they expect to be praised or thanked, I, I, I don't know what you gave. That's between you and the Father because you're not giving it to me. You're not giving it to the church. You're giving it to God. You're not giving it to me. You're not giving it to the church. You're giving it to God. Amen? Amen? And when we understand that, it changes the direction of my heart. Yeah, there may be projects and different things that we may ask people to give towards here at church, but you need to understand first and foremost that you're doing it as unto the Lord, not out of obligation, not out of fear, not out of guilt, not out of condemnation, but rather out of thankfulness of what God has done and how He is your source. Amen? Amen. You see, I give out of love because I know Him. And love comes from where? It comes from relationship. I have to know him. Remember John 3.16 that God so what? That he did what? That he gave his only begotten son. You see, love was the motive. And love is always the motive of the, of the giver's heart. When it's done out of a heart of generosity. When it's done out of an authentic 
sincere heart of generosity because there's no one more sincere or genuine or authentic than God. And so for him to give, he did it authentically and genuinely and sincerely, but he did it from a motive of love. And for us to model the heart of God and to be a testimony to the world of us giving our time, of our talent, of our treasure, it has to be a motive of love, not a motive with strings attached, not a motive trying to somehow obligate God or get God to do something that I want Him to do when I want Him to do it and how I think He should do it, but instead putting my trust and my hope in Him and just being faithful to what He told me to do. And going, I'm going to trust you in this area, God. Because God knows that this stuff is tied directly to our heart. That's what He was dealing with in Malachi, one of the most famous chapters in a message like this. So let's go check that out together here. Let's jump right into Malachi chapter 3. You see here God's promise to Israel during a season of famine. Malachi 3 and verse 10 says, Bring all the tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. He said, try me in this. Try me out in this. See if I won't open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there won't be room enough for you to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. You see here, God is promising Israel during this season of famine that he would provide for them and tr- if they would just trust him, even in a time of lack, even in a time where it wasn't convenient, even in a time where it wasn't easy, because it's often easy to give of our time, of our talent, and our treasure when we feel like we always have an abundance of those things. Yeah, I'll shave a little bit off for you. But if we're truly to make God a priority in our lives, He wants us to be faithful when things are going the way we would like for it to and when things aren't going the way we would like for it to. Because we trust Him in every season. Amen? We trust Him. We want to be faithful because He is faithful. Even with the Israelites here, He challenged them and told them, I want you to try me in this. I want you to give of the tithe. He said, because I'm going to be faithful to do what I told you I was going to do. So what is a tithe? You hear that used a lot. A tithe is a 10% of your income. And the particular tithe that he was referring to there in Malachi was a lot more than that with grain offerings and first fruits offerings and other things like that. But it was something that God was wanting them to understand this principle of giving. Now, the Bible teaches on tithing in different instances throughout Scripture. But here, let me clarify for you before we move any further that God never intended for the tithe to be something that people gave out of guilt, out of pride, out of compulsion, but rather out of obedience, which comes from trust, and trust comes from relationship. And what does that produce in our lives? Produces thankfulness, amen? Amen. It produces thankfulness in our heart to where we go, God, thank you, I realize this is from you. This is not about me, as if somehow I am my source, because God's cutting straight to the heart. God cuts straight to the heart because he knows often how, how we can look to ourselves as the source and we not trust him, especially in the area concerning our time and in the area concerning our finances. Those are two biggies that we want to try to guard and protect. Remember what I said last week in the message, that you have never met an unhappy, generous person, someone who is sincerely generous. I mean, think about it. Think about how genuinely happy that people who are generous are. Think about how full of love. You can just see the love of God in their eyes. How they're always willing to help. They're always willing to assist. They're always willing to be inconvenienced. 
whether it's with their time, whether it's with their talents and their abilities that they have, if they can serve you in any way, or whether it's with their treasure, with its physical uh, things that they own, that they loan out to you, or they give to you, or they bless you with, or whether it's with finances, whatever it is, they're just generous people, and that models the heart of God. And God uses the tithe to work in us a heart that is generous. God gave us the tithe as a standard of giving, not as a ceiling of giving. Some people look at it as, oh, I'm just trying to hit that mark and trying to get to that place. No, he wants us to understand, to trust him. He wants us to be faithful in the little things because there's always blessing that is attached to obedience. Amen? There's always, always blessing that's attached to obedience. If you have your Bible, go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. In verse 6, Paul says this to the church in Corinth, But I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or, or of necessity, for God loves a what? A cheerful giver. That's right. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad, he's given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberality which causes thanksgiving through us to God. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but it's also abounding through many thanksgivings to God. While through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and of all men and by their prayer for you who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. You know, as we look at blessing, I think a lot of people have different ideas of what that means. I think that sometimes people immediately think that if I give money to God that I'm going to get money back. And so they have this giving or investing type mentality of thinking that I'm just going to get money in return. I'm going to give a little. God's going to give a lot. And they're going and looking for that check in the mail that's going to pay all their bills. And I think those stories are fantastic. And does God bless people financially? Absolutely. Sure he does. God wants to bless people with, uh, with, with things that they need. God wants to take care of people. But to give with the heart, to simply look at what I can get in return is not really giving out of love. It's giving out of me looking at what I'm going to get. Yes, God wants us to trust Him. Yes, God wants to bless you. But it's not always going to be the way that you want Him to bless you and how and when and where. Amen? You ever found that out? Because I think oftentimes if people give with an agenda, it's almost like we're trying to limit God and tell Him what to do. We need to trust him, rather, that he's faithful and he's going to supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. That whether I find myself on top of the mountain doing well or whether I find myself in the bottom of the valley, I can be content in all things because I have Jesus. And Jesus is more than enough. And I'm going to be faithful where he tells me to be faithful because I want to give my complete life to him. I want to give him everything and say that nothing in this life owns me and I owe no man anything but love. You see, God uses the tithe. He uses that to work in us a generous heart, which in my opinion, a heart of generosity is the greatest gift that we could ever receive. Why would you say that, Pastor Derek? I mean, 
Wouldn't you say that, the, that a new Maserati or a BMW would be the greatest gift you could ever receive from God? Well, that would be fine if someone decided to bless me with that. I mean, it is my birthday Wednesday. I mean, if God is leading you, by all means, you know. But at the same time, no, it's not the physical or material things that we get in return that is the biggest blessing, in my opinion. The biggest blessing, in my opinion, that I can see throughout Scripture that would honor and glorify God would be that through my faithfulness and my sacrificial giving, through my consistent giving, through me making that decision consciously to make Him a priority in my life, is me consistently and faithfully and sacrificially releasing the ownership that things would try to have over my life. I'm continually giving away that power that would try to overtake me, that would try to lead me and guide me down a pathway of greed. Because we say we've never met an unhappy, generous person, but how many of us have met an unhappy, tight-fisted person or Scrooge? We can think of plenty of people and don't make the person next to you side sore by elbowing them. See, the thing is, folks, is that the greatest blessing I think that we'll ever receive from being faithful in those areas I think is a heart of generosity that is able to be content and understands that Jesus is all I need. That way, if I find myself sitting in a nice home, having a nice job, and I have a nice car, then I am still as content as I would be if I were living in a third world country and I was, didn't know where my next meal was coming from, but I knew that God was going to provide and supply. You hear those stories all of the time where people are, I, I didn't know where this was coming from, but you know what? I was content because I know that God's called me here and I know this is where I'm supposed to be, and I'm content, and I can be happy. It's not about me having to live in a certain neighborhood. It's not about me having to have a certain job or title, although those aspirations are wonderful in their right place, and you should chase after goals, and you should, you should set those things and try to aspire to do uh, great things in life as long as your heart motive is still one that God is first place. Amen? And that you don't put the job ahead of your family. You don't put the career aspirations ahead of your family. That you don't sacrifice your family and your marriage and your relationship with your children and your relationship, more importantly, with God in order to have a certain kind of car or to have a certain title in front of or behind your name or to have a certain parking space. Because if those things are being put on the back burner so you can achieve all those other things, you're out of line. And you're not going to live the life that God has created for you to live. And you're never going to be content even after you attain and you achieve those things. How many times have you watched one of those behind-the-music stories about one of those bands that made it big and that was super popular, and these guys made all this crazy amount of money, and they had all of the things they could ever want, but they were still empty, and they were still not content? Why? Because things were never meant to make us content. Never. The name of the game, folks, is not whoever has the most toys in the end wins. It's, am I living my life in a way that's going to bring glory to God? So God, shake us. Shake us and stir our hearts towards generosity because that's the heart that's going to glorify Him. And if He needs to use the standard of the tithe to begin to work in my heart, those things, then wonderful. I'm going to be faithful and give sacrificially so He has first place in my life because a heart of generosity is a heart that is content. You see, giving generously is not a path to salvation. This isn't going to make you right with God. It's not going to make God like you anymore because you give. It's not going to make God love you anymore. It's not a pathway, but rather it's a fruit of your salvation. It's a fruit of thankfulness. It's a fruit of you honoring God and saying, I'm recognizing you're my source, and I'm saying no man is going to own me, nothing is going to own me. 
You don't give to keep relationship with God any more than you would give to your parents to have a relationship with them, although it may help. <laughs> you see, Jesus said in Matthew 6 and 24, nobody can serve two masters. He said, either you're going to hate one and love the other, or you're going to be devoted to one and you're going to despise the other. He said, you cannot serve both God and money. So then here's what I can do with money and with possessions and with things that God has blessed me with. I can worship God with my money, but I can't worship God and money. Oh, let me say that again. Some of you were searching for butterscotch in your purse or in your pocket or something. Looking for some Trident or some Tic Tacs. I don't want you to miss this. Now you're like, that sounds really good right now. I should have bought Tic Tacs. Matthew 6 and 24 says, no one can serve two masters. Either you're going to hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one, despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You can worship God with your money, but you can't worship God and your money. That's why when we give here at Word of Grace, we're giving to God. We're giving to Him. We're releasing it. We're saying, I don't own this. This is not mine. I realize every good and perfect gift comes from God. I realize that everything is from Him. And Jesus said in Matthew 7 and 11, He said that you being evil are able to give good gifts to your children. How much more do you think that your Father in Heaven is wanting to bless you and love on you and bless you and take care of you? Don't you know that He cares for you? Don't you know that He knows every hair on your head? Don't you know that He is aware of everything in your life, how significant or insignificant you may think that it is? You see, for us to allow God to work in us a heart of generosity, we must give sacrificially with a cheerful heart. And 10% is a standard of sacrificial giving. It's enough to cause it to be a sacrifice. But for those of you who have made that commitment, you understand that somehow you always have more than enough. Why is that? Why do you think that I can put God first, make Him a priority, give Him 10%, and I still have more than enough? Because putting Him first, I understand He's faithful. And it may not even make sense on paper, but God supplies your need when you honor Him with your giving. If the tithe isn't sacrificial for you, or if it isn't from the heart, or if you're not consistent with it, then I would challenge you today to check your heart. Because God loves a cheerful giver. And ask Him, what should I be doing, Lord? It's not a ceiling. It's not something that I cap out at and I am like the Pharisee that feels like I've got it all going on and everyone knows that I'm the man in this area. No, it's God, check my heart. I don't want this stuff to own me. You see, God loves a cheerful giver, not grudgingly, not when we treat it like a bill, but rather when it's intentional, when it's sacrificial, and when it's from a willing, trusting, obedient, and cheerful heart. The Word says that when you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. And he's not talking about the amount that you sow sparingly with that will cause you to reap sparingly, but rather it's the heart that you sow sparingly with that will reap sparingly. If you sow with a heart that's content, a heart that's full, a heart that's cheerful, then you're going to reap bountifully because you're open to what God is doing in your heart. And you can honestly and genuinely say that money does not own me. Money doesn't control me. Money's not my idol. See, you can honor God with money because you're generous Because guess what, folks? A heart of generosity is full of joy. It's content. It's full of peace. A heart of generosity is full of joy. It's one that is just so joyful because this stuff doesn't own me. It doesn't own me. I can live my life in peace. God uses that thankfulness in us to work in us a heart of generosity. And God also uses generous people to move His kingdom agenda forward in the earth. 
Because God can do anything with a generous heart. A heart that's going to reflect His glory is going to invest in His kingdom with their time, with their talent, with their treasure. I have a pastor friend of mine in Appleton. His name is Dennis Episcopal. He's pastor of Appleton Alliance Church. It's a church of some 4,000 people. Pastor Dennis has been there over 20 years, and he took over the pastorate of that church when the church was about 250 people. So he's seeing God do some amazing things in his 20-year tenure. He's actually going to come here and speak in April. He's going to be our, our guest speaker in a series that we're doing after Easter. And it's going to be great to have him here. But as I've built relationship with him, as I've gotten to know him, we went out to lunch a few weeks ago, and he was telling me about this huge, somewhat $35 million uh, project that they have just completed with constructing a new sanctuary that would be able to house everyone and opening up their facility to their community and all the things that God is doing in and through their church and how they just paid all those things off and how their church is moving towards being uh, completely debt-free. And I just thought, wow, that's awesome that God is doing all that in your church. And he said, you want to know that out of my total time here, he said, we put you know pen to paper and figured out how much money we've actually paid towards moving this church forward and paying off this debt and all those things like that. And he said, do you know that the single largest gift that we ever received as a church was $200,000? $200,000. He said, and that wasn't a bunch of $200,000 gifts. He said, it was just one. That's the biggest gift we ever received. Imagine a $35 million note. Two hundred and fifty dollars is like, I mean, $200,000 is, is not going to move that $35 million, uh, uh, very much. But yet they're moving towards being completely debt-free. So what does that tell you? It tells you that their church understands purpose that they've collectively bought in to where they're going, and they've collectively said, this is where we're called. This is what we're called to do. He said, our church has paid off all of these millions of dollars of debt that we incurred to construct a new facility. He said, we did this by people that just work your regular, everyday jobs, not millionaires. He said, I go to these different church conferences. He told me where there would be these, uh, th- these other pastors of large churches and they, were, they would ask me, you know, uh, things like that. Like, what, what was the largest gift that you ever got paying off your debt and things like that? And he said, when I tell them $200,000, he said, their minds would be blown. He said, because it's not the big, huge, million-dollar givers. I mean, if anyone wants to give that, we'll welcome that. <laughs> but at the same time, it shows you the heart of regular people unified, moving forward, believing in something, committing to something, and believing this is what God has called us to do and who he's called us to be. And when I see that type of unity, I see how the kingdom of God is advanced, how more people are able to be reached, how God is just doing amazing things in His church through people who are willing to go, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to say, okay, Lord, this is, this, is, this is me trusting you. I want to commit. I want to do it even if it's sacrificial. I want to do it cheerfully. I want to do it regularly. I want to be a part of this because I want you to develop in me a heart of generosity and I want to move your kingdom forward in the earth. And it's going to bring glory to Jesus' name. Amen, church? So here's how we can guide our heart towards generosity. Just four things before we go this morning. One is faithfully. We've talked about that, about how God is faithful and he has called us to faithfulness. And he uses giving to work that in our hearts. Number two, giving generously and, and with a generous heart. It's not about an amount. It's about your heart that he is after. So we want to give generously out of our heart. Number three, sacrificially. Am I giving sacrificially? Challenge yourself with that question this week. Number four, giving cheerfully because God loves a cheerful giver. Would you stand with me today? I pray that this message has challenged you. Pray this series has challenged you. Um, we, don't, we don't really, um, <coughs> we're not trying to do anything. I, I, 
Hope you didn't misinterpret anything to, to try to be any type of manipulation or pressure or guilt because all I want to do is share with you the Word of God so you can see the truth in God's Word and you can live out the life that God has called you to live because He's wanting to work these things in our heart to where we go, this stuff doesn't own me. I am living my life with a purpose, with a generous heart to honor and to serve God. Amen, church? Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit WOT.